0: We are This is Sex Love Psychedelics and I'm your host Dr. Cat bringing you psycho sexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more
1: Hey lovers Having just launched my Sex Love Psychedelics course, it's been really fun to finally get to share what I've been working away on in my sex laboratory. (laughs) I'm seeing more and more conversations and online articles about sex and psychedelics, but I'll be honest, I feel like they're pretty lackluster. It's like, have sex on psychedelics and it will help you out. (laughs) No shit, bro. But then how do we really get the most out of the experience through PrEP? education and integration so that we don't become reliant on it for sensational sex or go into this experience and not be able to glean from it all the potent things that are happening for us to be able to bring back into our everyday life. And that's what I'm most passionate about, transforming our everyday sex through what we reference in the psychedelic experience. And I think many of us can get fixated on the macrodose as the answer, but I believe that we'd be missing out on a teaching that subtleness can provide us. So I've got my friend Paul Austin here, and we talk about the power of microdosing. It's hot. It's trendy. You might have heard that your neighbor or your daughter started doing it, but what is it actually good for and how do we do it in the most effective way? Because there's pitfalls. So Paul shares about his work in this field, how he sees it benefiting the field of mental health, and what he believes are the practices that further support its integration back into our life. It's not a shoot-off into the stratosphere experience, but that's why the integration can be even more accessible. I also see how this can be really beautiful in relationships or in our sexual experiences, where we don't have to have a full-on trip to gain the experience that is... Provided by these substances, you know the benefits. The, the like we think about this in the mental health. You know how does it reduce our own inner criticism or help us to be able to see more clearly or enhance our senses and and helps our focus, um, helps change our perspectives, it increases our energy. You know all of these things can be really helpful when it comes to sex. And so microdosing is a way we can access those without having to have a full on trip. Paul and I get into the conversation around psychedelic coaching, the importance of vetting and creating a culture of accountability where there's so much free floating facilitation out there that there needs to be accountability uh, more so than, than what may be happening out there. And that's just for the safety of everyone. Honestly, there's so much here in this conversation. And if you're passionate about psychedelics, you'll want to save this one. You'll want to pause it, play it back, take notes, leave me a sexy review (laughs) I know it. And just as a reminder, this is all for educational purposes only. Please educate yourself about the legality of psychedelic consumption in your area. I know there's so many changes that are happening, and I just want you to have this education for your own safety and your exploration. And for all of you in the UK... I'm coming for you. If you're in London this June, come find me speaking at the Health Optimization Summit June 17th and 18th. I'll be speaking on sex love psychedelics as well as teaching a powerful sensual embodiment and breath work practice that's sure to make the whole summit of biohackers super turned on. (laughs) that's what I like to do. So use discount code Dr. Cat when you check out the link is in my show notes. Now to this amazing human, Paul Austin. Paul is one of the most prominent voices in the world of psychedelics. I've seen him everywhere at all these different microdosing collectives or, you know, speaking and, and, As a founder of Third World, which, if you haven't heard of that, I don't know where you're living, which rock you're living under, but you should definitely check it out. It's incredible. He's educated millions on the importance of safe and effective psychedelic experiences. Uh, He is a pioneer for the intersection of microdosing, personal transformation, and professional success. And he has even been featured in Forbes, Rolling Stone, and the BBC's Work Life. He helps others to use microdosing as a tool for professional development and increase self-awareness by treating the use of psychedelics as a skill refined through mentorship and courageous exploration. And that's really what I think we need during this time. While there's so much misinformation being shared, there's so much unknown, there's so much research that's constantly being put out. And in having somebody to be able to hold the space for us to explore or discover is, is it helps to create that sense of safety. So I'm so happy you're on here. It's been it's been a hot minute since we've and since I've gotten to see you, and it's just a joy every time.
2: Thank you, Kat. It's it's an honor to be here. I was so so pleasantly surprised when you reached out about the podcast, and um, I'm excited to to dive in. Uh, I feel like this is a great a great opportunity. You know, psychedelics are very much in vogue. They're very much hot, sexy, trendy. Microdosing <laughs> has been a thing as of late. And, you know, my intention is always, how do we bring more nuance to the conversation? How do we explore, you know, the thousand shades of gray that exist on the spectrum of, of what psychedelics and microdosing can help to support? So this is this is my life's work and I'm I'm really thrilled any chance I get to be able to to chat about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just the wealth of your knowledge to go through your website on a third wave is like a whole library of very detailed shares about, you know, the experiences, uh, you know, what to expect on the experience, even to the ethical sourcing of these different psychedelics, where you know, I think we talk about the traditional, you know, the, the very trendy ones, you know, the super, um, in vogue ones, uh, so to say the psilocybin, the LSD, MDMA, things like that. But then you go through this whole list of like microdosing ib- ibogaine and uh, microdosing ayahuasca and things. And I'm, I'm sitting here like, what even do that? So I, I guess, you know, even before we get into that, uh, what is microdosing for mm. those people who aren't haven't realized how in vogue and trendy it is? <laughs>
2: <laughs> microdosing. So I'll I'll give a little context and background that'll help to to set the scene. Uh, I did a lot of acid when I was nineteen and twenty. You know, sophomore, junior, senior year of university higher doses, not necessarily micro doses. And what I noticed is after those high dose LSD experiences for like a week or two weeks after I had this beautiful afterglow, this sort of mm-hmm. halo effect of working with LSD where, uh, you know, meditating was second nature. I made a lot of really good choices and decisions about diet exercise sleep I was more connected uh, more present more vulnerable with friends and family and then inevitably you know two or three or four weeks after a lot of that would sort of dissipate and I I would notice some changes but I also noticed that I'd start to fall back and just say maybe Old patterns and, and old ways. So in 2015, I, I was living in Chiang Mai, Thailand. I was building my first business, which was a teaching English business, and listening to a podcast. And microdosing came up as a topic. And I was like, mm, that's interesting. You know, I, and I, I thought back to these early LSD experiences. And, you know, the reflection was, I wonder if microdosing could elongate that halo effect or that afterglow mm. effect. So it's not just two or three weeks, but it's actually a month or two months or three months or six months. In other words, this window of neuroplasticity stays yeah. open for a lot longer. And the key with microdosing is unlike these high doses of LSD or high doses of psilocybin, it's what's called, and what I what I'm what I'm sort of reorienting around is a sub-intoxicating dose of a psychedelic. So the initial term that was used to describe microdosing, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, is sub-perceptual. And what ended up happening is a lot of people were confused about, am I microdosing? Am I not microdosing? Is it perceptual? Can I feel the little bit? So there was a lot of sort of mind being hung up on the subjective effects and I think the best way to land it is a microdose is a dose that is sub intoxicating, a dose that you can still navigate everyday reality while you're under, but is not necessarily going to put you into visuals, uh, you know, significant emotional catharsis. Uh, you can still kind of do your thing on a day to day basis. And so when we look at how much, then, uh, you know, how much is a microdose, it's about a tenth. of a a regular dose. So anywhere from Mm -hmm. five to 30 micrograms of LSD or anywhere from 50 to maybe 300, 400 milligrams of psilocybin. Mm -hmm. And the reason that range is so big is because every individual has a different tolerance or a different sensitivity to these psychedelic medicines. And so a lot of what we teach through third wave, a lot of what I outlined even in this book, Mastering Microdosing that was recently published, is to start low go slow that this is a very personal experience and that calibration right specific to the individual is really key you can always mm-hmm. take more you can't necessarily take less and especially for those who are relatively new to psychedelics or look looking just to sort of wade in and get their feet wet microdosing is a phenomenal way to um to start to engage with the substances one other point Uh, a great way to land it is microdosing is not just taking a low dose once, but it really is about a protocol, right? So Mm. when we're talking about microdosing, we're really looking at how do we take a sub intoxicating psychedelic two to three times per week with a clear intention and a commitment to doing that for 30 to 60 days. So the parallel that I often draw or the comparison is like meditation. You don't sit down on the cushion, meditate for 15 minutes, and expect for your life to be transformed. It takes showing up consistently every day for you really to see the tangible benefits of meditation. And microdosing is much the same. It's really committing to that process of two to three times a week for 30 to 60 to 90 days having a clear core intention and not looking at microdosing as a magic pill, but really looking at microdosing as a, as a catalyst for neuroplasticity that will simply help you to weave in new behaviors that will help you to be more connected, more open, that may help with your overall mood and energy. Uh, That's another really important part to emphasize.
1: Yeah. And, and so When I first heard about microdosing really coming on the scene was in reference to Silicon Valley and using it as more of a biohacking tool for increased creative processes, um, productivity, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing a lot more conversations of why people would be using this. So can you give our listeners an idea of, yeah, why would somebody do this? What's it best for?
2: The, the use cases are so so wide and varied now, right? Like you mentioned Silicon Valley, that was, uh, that was probably the, the first place that it really caught on fire, so to mm-hmm. say. And that's simply yeah. because Tim Ferriss had Jim Fadiman on the podcast. Jim is the father of microdosing. Everyone in Silicon Valley listened to Tim back in 2015. So boom, um, you know, here we are. And then in 2016 or 2017, this woman, Eilette Waldman, who was a professor at Cal Berkeley, uh, her husband is a pretty famous writer, Michael Chabon. Mm -hmm. She had been on a litany of psychiatric medications and had tried microdosing LSD for 30 days and wrote a book about it called A Really Good Day. And so after that book came out and that was published by Knopf, so after that book came out, it all of a sudden opened up these all these middle aged mothers who maybe had been on SSRIs or different psychiatric medications, had been struggling with, you know, even postpartum postpartum depression or other aspects of, of of raising a family, and they were looking to microdosing to potentially help wean off those psychiatric medications uh, as yeah. something that's much more you know much less addictive and feels has much fewer side effects and feels much better overall, and then and then as word has continued to just sort of um, get out there you know a lot of folks who for example college students who are used to doing Adderall and Ritalin and Vyvanse these really intense yeah. medications for ADHD they're looking at microdoses as a way to help with cognitive performance attention motivation and focus uh, a lot of folks who are maybe in their 70s or even in their 80s are looking to microdosing just to help with maintaining cognitive flexibility uh, at an older age, uh, to help with overall mood and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I would say those are probably like, if we're from a generational perspective, college kids, you know, creatives, leaders, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. mothers. And retirees kind of covers the entire spectrum, and each one has a, a slightly different intention. But the core underlying aspect is a lot of these people don't necessarily either they 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 have prior psychedelic experience with high doses, and they simply, you know, they recognize that a lot of the benefits uh, from microdosing. Uh, are, are significant and, and they, they don't need to do a massive journey in order to feel a little happier, a little more connected, or a lot of these people are, you know, they're, they're maybe more conservative or they're just, you know, rule followers or, um, you know, they've never done a psychedelic in their life. And they're looking at microdosing as a way to start to engage in, in a relationship with these substances. And, you know, it's a very, um, uh, soft entry point. You know, a lot of folks who are getting into psychedelics go and smoke five MEO DMT right off the bat, which I think is oh, a huge Lord. mistake. <laughs>
1: <oftentimes. laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, so
1: sometime- straight out of the, yeah. the atmosphere.
2: Yeah. That intensity. Well, some folks can handle it. A lot of folks, can't and, and they don't want to. So I feel like microdosing is acting as a great entry point to recognize that psychedelics are not what we've been taught, uh, that there's no really reason for them to be illegal, that they're highly stigmatized and misunderstood. And I think microdosing is the bridge to full widespread cultural legalization of, of psychedelic substances.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know, even the concept of bigger is better you know we're so mm. often told that it's bigger than uh, bigger is better but there's something really beautiful in subtlety you know it, it, the the richness in subtlety you know how how many things in our environment are we using to distract our you know pull ourselves away from what's happening here like life as being psychedelic in and of itself or the beauty and the sensation and the uh, you know chasing these chasing the high versus finding it finding it here so i must see it as this integration tool in and of itself it help it may elevate you but it helps you to stay really here and in interacting with what's here and now
2: yeah and that frame as an integration tool i think is is so helpful uh because when we're looking at psychedelics broadly the 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 way that I love to talk about them is is psychedelics and working with psychedelics is often a skill right it's a skill that can be developed it's a skill that can be cultivated um the vast majority of people uh have no skill right they have no yeah. context they have no sense of how to use these and more and more people, thanks to the research, thanks to Michael Pollan, thanks to you know all these podcasters, are starting to learn what it means to work with psychedelics to open up these, you know, non-dual perspectives or looking at psychedelics as a way to heal, you know, emotional trauma or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And, and I think what's key in this is when we look at psychedelics as a skill. It's not just, can you smoke, you know, bufo and surrender? That's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's one element of it, but it's also like, You know, can you can you work with MDMA in a way that helps you to heal a lot of a lot of the shadow that's been directing your life subconsciously or unconsciously? You know, can you can you work with psilocybin at a three to four to five gram level uh, as a way to initiate that death and rebirth process? Uh, What is the role of microdosing as an integration tool to keep? that window of neuroplasticity open for longer to make it easier to actually make substantive changes to your lifestyle, Mm. to your relationships, Mm. to all these things. Then most importantly, and I think this often gets lost in especially in American culture, most importantly are the non-psychedelic modalities that are more or less the foundation of any true practice, meditation, breath, work, yoga, um, these practices, it's, The the metaphor that I often use, it's like if a high dose of a psychedelic is is like going to the dentist, you know, we go to the dentist every six months. We get a deep cleanse, uh, if you will, a deep cleaning Uh, these contemplative practices, breathwork, meditation, yoga. That's like brushing your teeth every day. That's like flossing. Mm -hmm. That's like the daily maintenance of your spiritual hygiene. And so I feel like it's essential and critical that when people are looking at psychedelics or microdosing as an integrative tool, that the intention is not to become, let's say dependent or reliant on an external substance, but it's really about like, how could the energy that's moving through uh, with the support of this medicine, the intelligence that's moving through with the support of this medicine, how can that be used to actually commit to meditating every day for 30 days and set up a foundational habit that will serve me for the rest of my life? And I think that's so essential and key to integration is what are the non-psychedelic practices That we are committing to because we know when we do them uh we're more connected uh we're more present uh we uh we make better decisions about diet exercise sleep that i think is so so important and essential and in many cases that can't just happen with a snap of our fingers right there are Mm -hmm. so many people who you know they smoke bufa or they do ayahuasca or they do five grams of mushrooms and then the next day they come out of that and they're like, I'm going to divorce my wife, quit my job, move to Costa Rica, grow out a man bun, uh, <laughs> whatever else it is. Right. So there, there's a lot of these extreme decisions that yeah. come out because we have this, we have these downloads, we have these insights, yeah. we, we feel like we know everything. And, and the sort of advice that I give is like, give it a month. Yeah right? And really, and this is what's so key about having a coach or a therapist or a guide or someone in your corner that can hold you accountable and support you is this is now a journey that you will be embarking on for potentially the rest of your life. So there's no need to hyper accelerate. There's no need to try to like get everything done and handled immediately. Give it space, give it time, see what settles. If still after a month, You feel very strongly about the need to, you know, quit your job or, you know, initiate a divorce or move to another country by all means, like make that choice, make that commitment. But I see too many people making, let's say, manic decisions in the throes of psychedelic experiences Mm -hmm. that often end up creating more harm than good in the uh, in the long term.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I speak a lot to, you know, learning the language of psychedelics isn't a, necessarily a literal language. It's a language of poetry and mythos and symbols that we really need to take the time to to research or sit with and d- decipher what those meanings are for us. There's <laughs> I not that long ago was dating somebody serious and they went to an ayahuasca um retreat and then called me leaving the airport saying that they fell in love with their shaman and is now forming a partnership with their shaman yeah so needless to say i'm sitting here like wow this is ironic (laughs) because this is but it is this i i it, there's this importance of yeah taking that time to integrate and also i mean in this case it's also considering you know the the many layers of the power dynamics that happens between a shaman and a you know somebody seeking help uh but there's it's just uh i think many people don't have the skills you know speaking to what you said they don't have the skills of either being able to sit with themselves to be able to uh you know be with perspectives and turn things over in their head to see what something does mean for them and to allow themselves patience before acting. You know, they're looking for the answer. They got the answer. They're creating safety. Let's do it now. The, that is the, the way I get that safety. And that's not necessarily the case at all.
2: I think there's something to be said for energetically holding our experiences close, mm-hmm. allowing the, the the sort of, um, the insights, the downloads, the aha moments to, to like stew, mm-hmm. to build. Mm-hmm. And one, one piece of advice that I was given many years ago by, by a good mentor of mine who sat in several hundred ayahuasca ceremonies and was a facilitator for the Santo daime is he said, um, talking about your spiritual experiences actually dissipates the potency of them. Mm. In other words, when we overshare what happens in a deep spiritual place and deep spiritual lens, then we're giving that power away. We're releasing it rather than holding it for us to be able to, to, to really initiate the transformation that's necessary. And I think that's often, you know, in our, in our world of social media in our world of Instagram in our world of you know, oversharing, frankly, mm-hmm. I think, sure. especially in the psychedelic space, we're seeing a lot of that. And so my other encouragement would be, you know, there's, there's a level of discernment. This isn't to say never share with anyone else, but oftentimes mm-hmm. sharing um, it, it can make us feel like the thing is done if we say it, but really oh, there's yeah. something, there's something powerful about keep it close, keep it close, keep it close. Be mindful of who like, you know, friends, family, be mindful of who you communicate uh, these deep sort of profound insights with, because that is your, that's like your spiritual battery. That is the energy. That is actually going to help you make those substantive substantive changes over the next three to six to nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people, what what they end up doing is, you know, they'll drink ayahuasca, they'll feel better than they've ever felt, and then they'll be drinking ayahuasca every week for the next year sometimes, right? And so I think it's, it's key to have a balanced relationship with these medicines. I mean, I did this myself when I first started doing acid when I was 19, I think I did it like 20 times and, in yeah. and, and the, 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 the scope of like a year or 18 mm-hmm. months or something like that. Sure. Um, and
1: you, and you learned. <laughs> and we learned. And yeah. Learned. Exactly. It's, it's the concept of, you know, who are we giving our, who are we outsourcing our own power and our own discernment and our own ability to, yeah, to, decipher for ourselves. I think, you know, in the case of, um, you know, making those decisions on a manic, uh, quickly, uh, after a ceremony, it's, am I outsourcing my own ability, my own discernment to a substance versus my own self, or even, you know, I'm thinking about what you just shared about sitting with your own experience rather than oversharing. Everybody's got their own interpretation and their own thoughts and their own, you know, um, beliefs about what you should, what you should do, or what that means that you experience. And so I can see how that can dilute the more you share, the more information you get from other people. And so that can, uh, diminish or disempower us, or that can change our own internal understanding of, of what that means for us.
2: Symbols. Yeah. Dil- dilution, right. Cause like meta, like you were saying, metaphor archetypes, yeah. Nonlinear understanding, even, you know, like in in ancient Greece, when they had these Eleusinian mysteries, you could not tell anyone what that experience was on pain of uh, death or basically excommunication. You get kicked out, you get sent to a remote island and never see your friends and family again, which the Greeks actually found to be worse than death in many ways. And so there was definitely an honoring of the mystery. Right, the mystery of psychedelics, the mystery of hypnosis, the mystery of 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 God, Source, Oneness, and in today's um, overly promiscuous world of social media, uh, there's no mystery, right? There's there's <laughs> no mystery whatsoever, and I think. The more that we can honor that in our own spaces, the more that we can honor the mystery of ceremony, uh, the, the, the sort of, uh, the sanctity of what happens there, of what emerges there. Uh, I think the more, the more potent and transformative these, these medicines, these medicines will be.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. And there's something to be said too about, you know, we're talking about sharing over sharing, but there is a a beautiful process of being held by whether it's a therapist or a coach to help you with the preparation or the integration and to make that the meaning. Um, I'm thinking of in my ketamine sessions, you know, where I'm Helping the next day, somebody integrate what they experience and they're like, Oh, I just saw a bunch of colored lights and I went into the sky and I was in clouds and, you know, and all this stuff. And then I'm able to like hold them to their intention. And then as we, as we hold that, we realize how much symbol or how much was actually in that experience or the times where usually it's their second ketamine session they're disappointed because it wasn't like the first but then by the end of our session they realize oh shit there's a lot of golden knowledge in that disappointment and 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 you know what did transpire and this is something that you do with third wave is is help train and support coaches
2: yeah, we do. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's a great balance, right? That when we have these psychedelic experiences, there can be, even with microdosing, there can be challenging emotions, there can be shadow, there can be catharsis. And so to have someone who you really trust, right, who's supporting you, who can help you integrate that, I also wrote down community,
1: mm-hmm. right? Whether it's
2: Oof. a therapist, coach, or or like so often, and for so long, the this healing has happened in community, in groups of people, in circles. I've been getting yeah. into men's circles lately. And that 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 process of I know, so cliche. That process it. of circling is it's like there's something primal to it. There's something archaic about it that gets us back into that like really connected, connected place. And I feel like more than anything, this has been my favorite aspect of the training program that we've rolled out. It's the community that is connected. It's the community that is solidified. It's the community that is really sort of emerging from third wave. And, you know, two years ago, I was I was more or less canvassing uh, the training programs that were available. The vast majority of them were about the clinical therapeutic and medical applications of psychedelics, which undoubtedly is critically important because of the efficacy for depression, PTSD, addiction, alcoholism, all the things, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are are familiar with. And many of them were for therapists, medical doctors, you know, clinicians, more or less. And my background in the psychedelic space, I, I was fortunate enough to not have any, let's say adverse childhood experiences. I was fortunate enough to not ever have a, a clinical diagnosis, although I've certainly struggled with depression and anxiety in adolescence and, and throughout my 20s. Um, that doesn't mean I didn't have healing, and that doesn't mean I don't still have healing, of course, but my orientation has always been much more around the creative orientation. Mm. Psychedelics helped me to heal a lot of the shame um, in, in being raised in a religious family in the Midwest, Uh, a lot of the guilt. Uh, They helped me to remember my power and be sovereign. Uh, And then most importantly, they've really helped me to what I would say, dream a new dream. They've helped inspire me to have the courage to do something that most people thought was crazy. They've helped me to, uh, you know, have the mental articulation and acuity to be able to execute on a day-to-day, week-to-week, and month-to-month basis against that vision and strategy to ensure that it could come to fruition. Um, And that creative orientation I find is so essential and necessary because it brings us out of this fixing mindset. It brings us out of this sort of backwards looking mindset and instead looks at shadow, looks at trauma, looks at these sort of difficult emotions as um, gas for the engine of creation, so to say. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I was looking, when when I kind of started to formulate what this training program would look like, you know i really looked at the overlap of psychedelics as a skill which we already talked about microdosing high dosing and non-psychedelic modalities um uh leadership performance uh optimal health and well-being and then overall like purpose and relationships right how do psychedelics help us to explore how do they help us to become better leaders how do they help us with to become more creative? How do they help us to make better choices in diet, exercise, sleep? How do they help to heal our relationships or really kind of bring them to the next level, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then, and then, so psychedelics is a skill, these aspects, and then, uh, and then like hands-on intimate personal experience, because a lot of Mm -hmm. the training programs that are out there, it's purely virtual. Right. They like the MAPS training. I think maybe they're starting to get permission, but you can't do MDMA. Right. Legally. Right. Uh, you know, for some of these trainings, you can work with ketamine hands on, which is nice. Which is uh, me. But what, right. I yeah, got exactly. Yeah. yeah. And but with ours, we go to a place called Brave Earth in Costa Rica. We do a six day intensive. We work with psilocybin, both lower doses and a high dose ceremony and we bring coaches largely a lot of our coaches are executive coaches health and wellness coaches performance coaches life and relationship coaches we have some clinicians and then we have body workers uh we have other like healing art practitioners i would mm-hmm. say and so this practitioner training program is really it's not it's not focused on How do we help you guide psychedelic experiences? That's a very sensitive topic. That's something that we will roll out in the future, but this program is much more around assessment, prep, integration, uh, the the sort of helping clients to potentially navigate an experience, meaning what medicine is appropriate, what Mm -hmm. facilitator is appropriate for that medicine, what setting is appropriate and then of course microdosing so we're li- li- really looking at those five assessment prep holding space experience uh sorry holding space integration and microdosing the skill of psychedelics right microdosing high doses and non-psychedelic modalities for then leadership performance health and well-being life and relationships and that orientation that creative orientation then kind of coming back to community the, the emphasis or the focus of the community is how do we pioneer, how do we build in a space that is incredibly uncertain? Yeah. That is incredibly, um, uh, even undeveloped that, you know, even though 90% of the conversation in media and 90% of the conversation, I would say, even in the psychedelic space is around, the therapeutic applications, the medical applications, the clinical applications. My belief is that the vast majority of people who are working with these substances and who will work with these substances in the next five to 10 to 15 years, it's not going to happen in an FDA regulated way. It's not going to happen for the most part in clinics. It's not going to necessarily happen in like kind of what we're used to as traditional healing environments. It's going to be community circles. It's going to be in places where it's decriminalized. It's going to be, uh, you know, not only to heal, but also to help people have better relationships, to help them become better leaders, to help them be more healthy. And so uh, the activation of a community that is willing to actually go out and build that and create that and do that, that to me is the most essential part of, Our training program, because I truly Mm -hmm. believe I love I love this quote from Buckminster Fuller, which is don't fix a broken system, build a new system that makes the old one obsolete. And that's really what I, I I'm doing with our training program. That's what I'm doing with our coaches, our practitioners. It's let's not try to like fix our healthcare system, or like, let's go ahead and build and create a new paradigm that's rooted in what I call the truth of interconnectedness, which we so often realize in these mystical experience. And let's go out and let's have the courage to build that and create that with the recognition of how important it will be, you know, to heal the mental health crisis, the climate crisis, the meaning crisis, you know, the sort of poly crisis Mm -hmm. that we, that we find ourselves in.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really important to to create. It's such a robust experience for people to learn. I I believe education is such the the foundational part of how we reduce harm and abuse in this in this culture, and especially as this is growing and this pioneering and there's so much uncertainty and unknown. And I also like this is a question I'm having conversations with to, uh, with people too around mm-hmm. how do we create a system that is um, creates for accountability and um, you know among practitioners or facilitators or you, you know shamans because it's as a therapist you know I have a regulating board who is able to take action for therapists who who um, engage in some sort of abuse or sexual violation but then there's like. You know things that aren't, people that aren't therapists aren't, they're not held to that. And so how do we create a system that, that does? I think right now, I, I just have colleagues who the only thing they're able to do is call that facilitator and say, hey, don't do this anymore. Like you can't do this anymore, but there's not a whole lot otherwise that they can do. So I don't know. This
2: is the harm of prohibition, right? This is this is the massive downside to prohibition because psychedelics are still illegal. There's no real way to create um, an above board self-regulating system for people who are not necessarily under the watchful eye of a licensing board, Mm -hmm. if you will. And yet I think that can be resolved or addressed. And I'll tell you a little bit how about how I see the vision of that in terms of what we're doing through third wave. And, 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 and I think it's, it's, it's a couple things. One is it's, it's this, this is really a weaving process, meaning, you know, it's not, how do we scale and have as many providers as quick as possible? Some people would say then in the psychedelic space, we're like, there's going to be all this demand. We need to train, you know, 80 million thousand therapists in the next five years. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like this huge emphasis and that's, that's important, right? It is. We do need to educate a lot of people. We do need better training. Uh, We do need more people who understand the sort of, um, space of psychedelics and, uh, to protect the integrity, uh, scale too quick and everything goes sideways. We experienced this in the sixties, right? Turn on, tune in, drop out, give everyone super high doses of LSD. It was too much, too fast. The container can be held and boom, backlash set us back, you know, decades, in many ways. And so I think it's essential that we honor that weaving process, that we allow for the organic growth, that we emphasize the necessity of um of training, of, of education, of space holding, right? There's so much I was I was chatting with Peyton Nyquist, who's the CEO of Numinous a few weeks ago and he mm. he, he mentioned a really interesting statistic, which is that something like billion have been invested in the psychedelic space. And out of that, 2.3 billion has gone into drug development and biotech. Mm. In other words, there is such an emphasis on the drug and very little money is going into the training and education. And it's imperative to create a healthy ecosystem that a lot more time, energy, money is actually invested in the people rather than the drug that is the real revolution you know yeah. in many respects in many regards and so well then how do we do that how do we create that ecosystem so through third wave we rolled out a directory of providers i think we have something like 300 to 350 providers in there right now
1: mm-hmm.
2: clinics retreats therapists and coaches uh that mm-hmm. are in that that retreat directory we have everyone apply you know we have a process that they have to go through uh, there's some level of vetting and verification, although it's not as stringent as I would like at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And any coach, for example, that goes into our directory has to have first completed our training program. Uh, and that way, they're, they've agreed to our you know, ethical agreement. They've agreed to complete the entire program. We know them. We've been in medicine space with them. They've gone through ceremony with us. So we Mm -hmm. have that for coaches, therapists, you know, it's, you have to have completed a training program with one of these big, you know, it could be CIS, it could be maps. It could be Lauren Taus's, It could be IPI. It could be, you know, any number, but you have to have completed that training program and, you know, you have to be open and willing to abide by the agreements that we've laid out here as well. Retreats, uh, not as relevant here. Clinics, what we emphasize, there's so many now ketamine infusion clinics. So yeah. what we really emphasize is you have to be an integrative clinic in order to, to list with us. So I think first and That's foremost, it's we we set parameters about who we let in. Then what we will be rolling out this year is uh, a membership community uh, that essentially is another layer of vetting, and and you know we get about three hundred thousand people a month that come to Third Wave, and so enrolling out this directory, it's really like how are we helping all of these people connect not only to education but vetted and verified providers, and so the next stage of this is to just be really intentional about who is it that we are sending for lack of a better term, clients to or leads to. And if you want to sort of work within our ecosystem, I think it comes back to community. It's we know you, we've been in ceremony with you, we've gone to a conference with you, there are people who are vouching for you. And I think it has to be for the time being a human to human element in in order to sort of keep some level of accountability with all these shamans, coaches, practitioners that don't have Mm -hmm. the oversight of a, of a licensing board. So, so just to, just to kind of come back and land this, I think first and foremost, the weaving process, organic growth, we can't go too quick, too fast community and the importance of community community. Is not necessarily, uh, all inclusive? It's not necessarily you know, even if you're a fucker, we're going to let you in. There are boundaries, there's accountability, there's, there has to be that process of discernment around community. Yeah. And then I think third, technology and leveraging technology in order to help people find an ideal practitioner. And this is, this is not just a problem or issue in the psychedelic space. This is a problem or issue in all of the healing spaces. Yep. Like how do you find a therapist that's aligned? And I, I have a sense mm-hmm. that in the next 10 years, it's going to be easier and easier to match people utilizing AI or utilizing, you know, Mm. other aspects or elements of intake forms. And I think that's the ideal of where this lands. It's if we could help every person who's interested in psychedelics, find an ideal match for them, whether that's a clinic retreat therapist or coach, I think that will also help to significantly improve the likelihood of widespread accessibility for, for psychedelics.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oof, I love that. And it's, it's, I don't think it's emphasized enough, this process of vetting. I made a a guide for um, people with different questions to ask, you know, whether it's a sexuality program or a psychedelic program, you know, both of those can, there are power differentials and there's a lot of things that, you know, vulnerabilities there, especially like amplified. And so putting that power into someone's hands to be able to, to ask the questions versus oh my friend gave me this referral therefore you know i'm i'm going to have a, a ceremony with with so and so and without even really knowing whether that person has training or or whether they're a good fit um it's but it's also challenging because somebody who is seeking help you know who is seeking healing is by the by that nature in a more vulnerable role and i'm just thinking from you know, from my trauma therapist lens, how difficult it is for somebody who's gone through trauma to even be able to discern boundaries or to, you know, they look to somebody and uh, for the answers, for the healing, for the, and it just can make things so blurry. Uh, so I really appreciate the way You throw psychedelics
2: doing. in there and it gets a lot blurrier <laughs> yeah. and you throw sex in there. And it gets a lot blurry, blurrier. blurrier. So, that, so these, these ecstatic states are phenomenal. But this has been since the beginning of civilization, the Western mind versus Eastern mysticism, you know, mm-hmm. the Western logical, rational thought versus Western or sorry, the Western logical, rational thought versus Eastern Mysticism, non-duality. This has always been sort of the thing. So I, I feel like in a lot of this, it's like, you know, what's what's the middle way? How do we sort of keep our wits about us? How do, and this goes back even to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast. How do we keep our wits about us? How do we still have really good discernment? How do we ensure that we are in a safe and trustworthy community? You know, all these things are essential. And how do we surrender to have a beautiful and mystical experience? How do we let go of old stories and traumas and narratives? How do we allow ourselves to be taken in the moment by madness? Uh, yeah. When we're taking psychedelics or when we're, you know, having orgasm or any, any of these things. And mm-hmm. it's always a dance. Yeah. You know, it's always a dance and it's also a skill. And I think what is key here, it's like I go back to the skill of psychedelics or psychedelic literacy is another phrase that I love to use. That concept is so essential to creating a healthy container for the integration of psychedelic substances. And and, it, and just to bring this home to the core topic that we've talked about today, microdosing, that's why I love microdosing so much, because it allows us to shake up the snow globe without being put in an overly vulnerable state. It mm-hmm. allows still for processing You know, for emotional catharsis without it potentially being so overwhelming that it's traumatic. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can land on these middle ways, right, between two extremes or between two polarities, I think finding that path again and again and again is going to be essential to integrative, like an integrative approach for not only psychedelics, but for healing, for sex, for all these other ecstatic states of
1: being. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Oof. Oh, this is such a great, great, great. Conversation. I have a couple of questions from our audience. I always put Perfect. out questions to uh, followers on sex love yoga. And these questions, I've got three of them. Okay. Uh first one, are there any herbs that amplify the psilocybin experience? So I don't know if they're talking microdosing, macrodosing, I'd imagine I'm not sure.
2: microdosing, but let's let's talk about let's talk about chocolate. So there's a chocolate that I know of. And that chocolate has uh, Kana, Mm -hmm. which is a heart opener from South Africa, Mm -hmm. uh, also quite stimulating. Theobromine, which is the heart opener in cacao. Lion's mane, which is a functional mushroom. And Damiana, which is an aphrodisiac. And and Mm -hmm. there's a gram of psilocybin, ghost strain in particular, in these chocolates. And the reason that formulation was chosen... Um, By the individual who chose that formulation is because they wanted something that was a heart opener. They wanted something that was like a hippie flip, which is a Mm. combination of MDMA and psilocybin, but they didn't want the intense uh, next day effects of MDMA, MDMA, they, they prefer not to work with synthetics, right? And so mm-hmm. they chose Kana and theobromine because they're both really good heart openers. You combine that with psilocybin as the non-specific amplifier and boom, you have this beautiful medicine that acts as an incredible heart opener. It's not overly psychedelic. And that's because the intention is for ceremony. The intention is for connection. The intention is for opening. Um, you now, now that same person has another microdosing formulation, and in that microdosing formulation, there's uh, Tongkat Ali, otherwise known as Long Jack. There's Lion's Mane. There's Cordyceps. Uh, there's Bacopa. Uh, there's Shilajit. Right, and so clearly, and there's a little bit of Golden Teachers. In there, like 160 milligrams of golden teachers. So the intention of that microdosing formulation, as you can tell by the herbal selection, mm-hmm. uh is focus, it's masculine, it's you know, motivation, it's mm. execution, it's getting things done, flow yeah, state.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. So the the choice of herbs. Now there could also be ashwagandha, there could be rhodiola, there could be, you know, other adaptogens, uh, the choice of herbs influences the intention or better said the intention influences the choice of herbs so I think just knowing different herbs and then recognizing that psilocybin as a non-specific amplifier is just going to have a sort of amplifying effect an intensifying effect on those herbs themselves that would be mm-hmm. kind of my Lens and context on that.
1: Amazing! Oh, I love that. Okay, second question. I get a terrible stomach ache when I do mushrooms or acid. Any tips?
2: <laughs> yeah. So with mushrooms, lemon tech for sure because a lot of the nausea from, let's say, raw mushrooms or dried mushrooms comes from something called chitin, c h uh, i t i n. And so when you lemon tech, and we have an article that you can link to on our on our website about lemon tech. Right. When you lemon tech the mushrooms, it breaks down the chitin and makes it way less sort of, uh, way less likely to, uh, create nausea. Uh, so I would say first step lemon tech, if you're doing it with LSD and you're getting pretty bad nausea, uh, my recommendation would be to take ginger alongside the LSD. Cause it'll just help to calm, uh, mm. the stomach. Uh, you can't really lemon tech acid at this point in time, uh, but that would be my recommendation for LSD in particular.
1: Oh, awesome. Okay, last one. I love MDMA. Oh, this kind of goes with what you just shared. But I feel depressed uh, the two days after. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would we do it? <laughs> um, or I, they didn't ask this part, but maybe is there something that can support somebody in that the depression? Yeah, so is that just- so.
2: MDMA, I feel like, is like one of those first generation psychedelics. It's pretty good. Uh, You know, MAPS has their protocol for PTSD, three MDMA sessions in a 12-week period. It is incredible for healing emotional trauma. It's incredible for relationships. And like the chocolate that I just mentioned, I find to be superior because you get a lot of the same effects, but Mm -hmm. you feel even better the next day rather than not so good. Mm -hmm. So I think one is... The first question is, do you absolutely need to do MDMA? And for some folks, it's a yes. For some folks, you know, it's going to be a very good thing. And if that's the case, uh, make sure you supplement. Make sure you supplement with NAC. Make sure you supplement with 5-HTP. Make sure you supplement with magnesium. You know, there's a whole list that you could probably link to about all the different supplements that you should take before, during, Mm -hmm. and after an MDMA session. And I think the, the the second thing then is like, to take it quite early in the day. Now this is not true for raves, obviously. So I'm assuming this person is coming at it from, let's say a more intentional or therapeutic or connected place. But what I always do with MDMA, if I am taking it is I try to take it at like two to three in the afternoon, Mm. because one of the key reasons we feel so shitty for the next day or a couple of days after is often because of a lack of good sleep. Mm. And so if we take it early enough, uh, then, you know, when 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock rolls around, uh, it's much easier to get to bed. And that's also going to help with the recovery process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I know that MDMA also has a lot of neurotoxicity that, that you can flush out with some of these supplements that you're saying. So exactly. I love that, Paul, this is amazing. I just adore you. This is so, oh, such a great you, conversation. Karen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where can people find you where they can, where can they go to study with you third wave?
2: Yeah. The third is the website. We have a newsletter. We have our own podcast, which we'll be shortly on as well. The psychedelic podcast. Mm -hmm. If folks want to really go deep into this, um, and then I'm on socials at Paul Austin three W mostly Instagram and Twitter. And if folks have questions, if folks want to reach out after listening to this, you know, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, you know, ping me on Twitter, reach out to us over email at third wave. We also, which I didn't mention yet, we also have a mushroom grow kit. So if Mm. folks are really looking to uh, be sovereign over their own supply and they really want to start to cultivate a relationship with the mushroom itself, we also have a mushroom grow kit uh, that they can purchase. And that comes with everything that they need in order to be able to grow their own, grow their own mushrooms as well. that's all on Third Wave. You can find all the details at thethirdwave.co.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you, Kat.
0: Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation... Head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed and one final note here I make this show specifically for you if you're loving the show then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know happy to be here and happy to serve I'll see you next time on Sex, Love, Psychedelics